When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash hack it out. Just go to Indeed.com slash hack it out right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash hack it out. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Right, welcome back to the Hack It Out Golf Podcast. Myself, Mark Crossroad, Lou Stagner, as always. We've got our guest presenter with us today with Greg Chalmers. Greg, I'll say hello. How are you doing, Greg? Mark, doing great, mate. How are you going again? Good. Yeah, good. Good to have you back. And we've also got a special guest today in John Spitzer, who is a USGA Equipment Standards Director, as I understand. But I'll let him uh, introduce himself in a second and his role within the USGA. Uh, And we're going to talk all things modern day golf. It should be a fun episode. John, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you very much, Mark. Happy to be here. Uh, it's going to be an absolute pleasure to talk to you. We've got lots of things to get through and some interesting questions, which I can't uh, wait to hear your insights from. Uh, we'll kick it off basically with just if you could tell us a bit about yourself, who you are, and what your role is in within the USGA would be a good kickoff, I think. Uh, I've been with the USGA for 24 years now. I'm the managing director of equipment standards. So uh, basically, I'm in charge of the the department that takes care of equipment rules and governance, the, the rules on the clubs and balls and, and other devices. And prior to that, I worked, uh, I worked in Connecticut at uh, General Dynamics Electric Boat on nuclear submarines. And then after that, I worked at Princeton University's plasma physics lab on nuclear fusion reactors. So this is my first non-nuclear job. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. I've got not much experience in nuclear submarines. I don't know if you guys, I, I, Greg, I know you specialize in nuclear submarines, but you don't want to go into that today, I'm sure. Thanks, thanks for that, mate. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. So are you, uh, as my understanding, um, John, are you similar, if the same as Steve Otto at the RNA? Are you yeah, that, yes. on a par yes, with we, each other? Yes, that's exactly right. In fact, I just saw Steve Otto. Uh, at the beginning of last week was over in London. We met for a few days. So, Fantastic. So for anyone listening, Steve Otto is, he heads up the RNA's version of equipment standards. I'm not sure if they call it that. I only know Steve through some talks he's done as a golf, I'm a golf professional and um, he's, whenever he does talks, I go and listen because when he speaks, uh, I want to hear what he's got to say. They do some interesting tests and I'm sure you're doing the same ideas, testing standards of all equipment. And as I understand it, John, you kind of test everything in golf, isn't it? It's not people think it's just drivers, but you, you, your role in testing equipment will be, will you test things like gloves as well? Like how far down the rabbit hole does it go? 
Well, it, it's it's more from well, the standpoint of shoes and gloves and things like that. It's more measurement than testing. So we do have okay. rules that say how much padding you can have in a glove so that it you know yeah. plates glove the same. But it's not really testing. But we do cl- test uh, clubs and balls throughout the bag. So yeah, clubs throughout the bag plus balls. Fantastic. Great. Lou, shall I throw it to you? I know you've got our first question to kick us off. Uh, that we There's John, so everyone gets a bit of insight of his um, amazing background there. Uh, Lou, what's your first question for us? Yeah, John, so we brought you on to talk a, a little bit about the Distance Insight Report. So sure. at, a high, at a high level, can you just uh, kind of fill the listeners in on what the Distance Insight Report is, what it was all about? Uh, there's some that I'm sure are familiar with it, but there's probably a lot that really aren't. So in a nutshell, what is it? Well, basically, you know, the, the distance is a passionate subject uh, at all levels of golf, from players to manufacturers to regulators and governance like myself. Uh, basically, what it was is we, we, knowing that it's such an important topic, that we decided we'd go in and, and go on the most comprehensive research to date, looking at uh, distance from the standpoint of how do you create distance, the player, the equipment, and the course all tend to add towards distance. Uh, how it affects uh, things like the players, like the course, like the pace of play, like the cost, and whether or not it propo- it, it, it actually uh, is any kind of danger or acts, acts as a, uh, some sort of danger to the game and its health in the long term. So that's what the idea of Distance Insights was. And what were some of the key takeaways? I think what we found is that, you know, since the very beginning of record keeping in the from the drive distance standpoint most of it was anecdotal very very early on but we've seen some increases kind of a a steady increase in drive distance there's some some blips in time when certain equipment took uh took the drive distances up quite a bit in a short period of time we've seen courses lengthen over time uh, and basically what we've seen is that as the course lengthens, it puts some strains on sustainability and things like that. One of the things you talked, you said there was a steady increase in distance. We, mm-hmm. we haven't seen that at the amateur level. And so a lot of the conversation on this topic is around um, distance and amateurs. And, and so uh, in a nutshell, is distance a problem for everyone? Well, you know, that's a very good question, and it's actually got a multi-pronged answer. Distance is a problem for a lot of people, but it's actually a problem on both sides of the spectrum. There's a lot of golfers, uh, myself included, I would say, I'm not a great golfer, who could use a little more distance and uh, should be playing up a tee. And then there's some some golfers that, that hit the ball very, very long way, and and are straining the the acreage that golf courses have. So for the average golfer as a whole, no, you're right. They haven't gained distance. I think that uh, if you talk to people who have played a long time that are uh, like myself, I've been playing for many, many years. I think the distance, I've gained distance in my old age as opposed to when I was younger. Uh, but for the most part, when you look at the, the data, and I think you know, Lou, this as much as anybody, all that data, including handicap data, there's a lot of people that fall off to give up the game because it's too hard. A lot of people join the game. And so, you know, there's a lot of variability in that. But overall, distance is definitely not an issue, at least driving the ball too far. It's definitely not an issue for the average player. 
Yeah, it, it isn't. But there, there's really very few players that hit the ball that far. Um, going back to the T at Forward campaign. Um, so the T at Forward campaign was started uh, really because golfers are playing golf courses too long for their skill level and for their distance. And since then, you know, distance is, is unchanged. But if you look at the recommendations on that, you'll see that if a player averages 275, the USGA would suggest that they play a golf course at least 6,700 yards long. Um, less than 2% of amateur players, about 1.8% of amateur players, hit the ball 275 or more. Um, almost half the golf courses in the United States are at least 6,700 yards long. Mm -hmm. And so when, when I hear that there's a lot of people that are hitting the ball a long way, the numbers just don't prove that out. And in the other part, the second part of that question is, is you said distance, it's a problem on both sides of the coin. And so when we hear the problem around cost as it relates to people hitting the bar ball too far, we hear about, well, we need to build new back tees for that. And there's a cost associated with that. And there's maintenance associated with that. But then um, someone like Thomas Pagel, who did an interview earlier this year, said 92% of golf courses don't have tees for the shorter hitters. And there is a cost associated with building tees on nearly every golf course. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that because I think the game needs to be inclusive and everyone needs to be involved in it. But I find it interesting that cost is a concern when it comes to back tees, but cost is not a concern when it comes to forward tees. No, I think, I think you're right. Cost is a concern on both of them. But uh, right now, from the data that we collected and research we did, you can get a municipal ports the course can get an extra a dollar per green fee for every hundred yards they add to the length of their course as far as their scorecard reads. So regardless of whether anybody's playing there, there's a perception that if a course is longer, it represents a greater challenge and represents a better golf course, which I, I think we none of us would agree with that. Um, and a lot of these people yeah. who have that philosophy coming nowhere close to playing that tee. So you're absolutely right. And if, and from the shorter side, there are a lot of courses that when people can only drive the ball 120 yards, there's no place for them to go except for maybe throwing two tee markers into the fairway. And that's, and that's not right either. So you're absolutely right. The cost is, is the same on both sides. So I'm, I'm curious, like why someone like Thomas Pagel, and I know he's not here to defend himself, but in an interview, uh, he said that golfers are hitting the ball further than they did 10 years ago. And that's just, it's simply not true. Report number four in the USGA Distance Insight Library talks about that. There's been a study done every year since 1996 by the RNA and driving distance for amateurs is, is unchanged. I mean, it, it wobbles a little bit since 2003, but since 2003 till today, it's, it's unchanged. So when I hear folks like Thomas, who's an executive at the USGA, say that distance is a problem. Yeah, he says that distance is a problem for everyone. And he says that golfers are longer now than they were 10 years ago. Uh, I'm not sure why he would say that when the data in your own study doesn't support that. Are supply chain issues still disrupting your operations? Graybar has you covered. As a leader in distribution of electrical, communications, data networking, and industrial products, 
Professionals across the country rely on Graybar's nationwide logistics network to get them what they need, when and where they need it, and within budget. Operating with one clear mission, to serve as the vital link in the supply chain, adding value for customers and suppliers with innovative solutions and services. Their nationwide logistics network, with over 290 locations across the country, assists owners and professionals with building and maintaining the operations in our electrical, communications, and industrial world by getting them what they need, when and where they need it, and within budget. Being able to effectively navigate supply chains to get products on-site and on-time is crucial these days, and Graybar's nationwide logistics network is a game-changer in keeping projects on task. To view more information on their services, head to graybar.com. That's G-R-A-Y-B-A-R.com. Yep, Graybard does that. Well, I think he's talking in general. He's certainly everybody across the PGA Tour, and, and I, was, I didn't listen to that, so I don't know exactly what he said, but everybody in the PGA Tour has certainly climbed up quite a bit in, in distance. And while the, the amateur drive distance has remained relatively flat, it isn't zero. And, and so, you know, there are some small gains. And again, I guess that's kind of confounded by the small data set that the RNA collects and, and, and whatnot. So you can see that, that I agree that, that it's, it's somewhat flat, but it's not zero. But, you know, I have access to a large data set now with the other role that I have, and we have data going back to 2015. And there's other providers that also have data. And it also shows, and those are very, very large data sets. They're massive. Um, and they show driving distance for amateurs is, is unchanged. But as far as the PGA Tour, 10 years ago in 2011, the average distance on tour was 290.9 yards. Last year, it was 296.2. So it's about five yards more. One of the things you need to factor in is that the tour is younger. In one of your studies in the, in the Distance Insight Report, you talk about how every year there's about a half yard of impact and distance. And so when we factor in that the tour is now about four years younger than it was back then, that accounts for some of it. Um, launch monitors helping people to optimize their fitting, optimize their conditions and gain distance. And the fact that we now understand how much more important distance is. So when you factor all those things in, you know, a five-yard increase from 2011 to 2021 is not significant in any way, shape, or form. Driving distance at the tour level has been relatively flat um, since 2003-ish. Are you talking statistical significance or your, your take on the data? No, I'm talking statistical significance. That's not my take on the data. But you can't just flatline and say that uh, that it, it they're longer without considering all of those other factors. Well, you, you you know I would I would take a little bit of exception for comparing just two years instead of a trend line through that data. Well, I can uh, read them off to you. Two ninety point nine. You know I have it right in front of me too. Sure. Though, and I'm, my point is it's it's not necessarily. Uh, appropriate to compare two individual years because there's variation year to year, most of which is caused by weather and course conditions. So if you're going to look at the, the change in how the distance has increased across the board, you need to look at a trend, not in two individual years. And um, I don't know whether off the top of my head, whether that five yards is is statistically significant and what level of statistical significance that is. But I can tell you for sure there's an upward trend uh, there in that data. Uh, 
you're correct that it's affected by many things. Now, if you're trying to say that this isn't a function of equipment, I would not disagree with you. It's got a very, equipment plays a very, very small role in this. The increases that we see at the PGA Tour level are almost entirely due to the player himself. Yeah, absolutely. We would agree with that, wouldn't we, guys? Um, Greg, would you agree with that as someone who's been on tour for a while? We'll come back to you in a second. I think think there's a little bit of chicken or the egg there. Like I think the equipment allows that speed to be generated because it's more forgiving. You know, like if you put a 200cc head at the end of a 46-inch shaft, that is harder to hit harder, straighter. So, yes, there is a lot of it that is athleticism, obviously, but you put a machine in their hand that they can move at that speed and be confident they're going to do what they're going to do, then, of course, yes, they'll smash it. Um, You go look at really old-school stuff like, uh, you know, what Tiger drew in the 90s or late 90s, um, you know, some of the stuff we grew up playing with, you know, I sound like the old guy, get off my lawn, but, you know, some of the tailor-made burners <laughs> and things like that, they were tinier and smaller and harder to hit and sure. the golf ball didn't go as straight. So sure. there's, a, there's a combination of everything going on there. Um, the hard part, I think, for the USGA, honestly, um, anytime they wind something back and this is what we're dealing with or change, um, it feels like you're telling us we can't fly in first class anymore, right? And, oh, and yeah. no, one like, no one likes to go back to economy. Right. We, so the only thing we rolled rolled back, and the only thing we changed was the model local rule on club length. So everything else is still being discussed. Hey, John, and, I, I got one for you. Like when the PGA Tour does these local rules, do they consult with you guys? Yeah, we have uh, members of the PGA Tour, the LPGA, and the PGA of America that actually sit on our equipment standards committee. So they are privy to all of our research and, and all of our deliberations throughout the entire process. And, and you guys, what do you see? Like if we fast forward 20 years, sure. what, what do you look for? What do you, what do you want to see in the equipment? What do you want to see as how golf's played? Like it, it's a vast question, I know, but what, where do you see this heading? I'd like to see the pressure to lengthen golf courses at the elite level uh, diminish so that that places like Augusta and some of the, the old courts at St. Andrews don't feel the need to, to constantly lengthen to, to basically put off the uh, distance that the players are going to compensate for that. I think that would relieve some of that pressure. I think we're going to see increased uh, pressure for resources, especially water coming in the near future. And if we can find some way, and we're doing it from a two-pronged approach, both looking at the golf course and where you should water, where you shouldn't, as far as what's in play, and and from lengthening golf courses, what areas need to be mowed, what needs the, the most maintenance, I think that would be helpful. That's an interesting point, though, because you mentioned what I'm confused with there, and Lou, maybe you can help me out here a little bit, is that you mentioned St. Andrews as a place that obviously concerns that they're having to chase yeah. further back tees and what have you. But then in the very same sentence, you mentioned the fact that you're looking at shortages in water or how maintenance and what have you takes yeah. part on golf courses. I mean, St. Andrews has massive green complexes, which are the highest maintenance part of the whole course, are they not? That That's the most cost. Well, yeah, and labor-intensive part right. using machinery and what have you. I mean, machinery yeah. is not sustainable. Like St. Andrews, their sustainability is debatable from the way that we want the traditions of that course set up. So it's like we want our cake and eat. Oh, I might be missing the point. Is that a fair well, point think, or not? I think that, that from the standpoint of your, your point, Mark, is, is that 
from the standpoint of sustainability and water, there's no problem with water in the UK. And on the old courts, they have all they want. The, but we do have water shortages in the UK. That's, a, that's a single not a true statement. I know we're an island, but we, we do yeah. have water shortages, I can assure you, yeah. every year. And so, but, but they don't struggle as much. If they wanted to do that, they could probably minimize the 30 gallons per flush that they have on their toilets. But uh, the other thing is they're just running out of room to move any teas back. You know, the, the tea on the road hole is way back into uh, an area that is not even really considered part of the course practically. Um, yeah, but just so, to point you on that point, it's rarely used. That tea is rarely used. Uh, I've been uh, to yeah. the St. Andrews I, links and many events there, and that tea is there. The, the, and they only it's have rarely to make... used because they have a thing called 30 mile hour winds, as you know, at St. Andrews. Do you know what I mean? Right. What, right. Who hasn't played a links course where you hit a wedge into one hole and the next day the same hole you can't yeah. reach? I mean, and they have no rough maintenance costs or very little rough maintenance costs because they don't have the traditional rough that you might have an American course. So when I talk about sustainability, we fully recognize that at different parts of the world, there's going to be different pressures from, yeah, absolutely. from where they are. And so the, they would face different pressures than someone like Augusta would face. On but building a tea that's rarely used and talking about sustainability, that's just one of the contradictions I often find an interest. I find that hard, it's a contradiction in my mind. It's not sustainable, but we went and built a tea out of our own boundaries of a course well it's not but it's well, I think that, and that why why did you build it when you barely use it uh what i mean i guess they're just trying to protect score is that what they're trying to protect i, I think protect? they're just trying to protect what they consider the integrity of the course i mean you know greg's that would be the the one who can talk to this most i don't think most people would like to see during the open championship somebody driving the 17th hole or, or throwing it into the road hole bunker on their drive to, to be it's safe. 480 yard par four, isn't it? I mean, no one's driving that, are they? Well, you just said they had 30 miles an hour wind too. So, I mean, we can't. Yeah, but 30 mile an hour wind, there, you're going to drive but... any hole, aren't you? That, that's the, if you're going to put 30 mile an hour wind on, you're going to then have another hole, which is going to be into across that wind. So where you drive that one, there'll be one that you normally drive that you won't get anywhere near. You can't, like It's one hole that one day will be downwind and one day will be in. It just depends on what you want to it's see. A, like if you want to see a guy coming down the stretch, hitting an iron off that tee, off the front tee, when that, the old tee, then then fine. That's a, that's a way to play the golf course and a way to set it up. If you want to have the option to push it back further, they had to put another tee in. If you run through the golf course, like you would know, there's nowhere else to go on. One, two, there's no room. Three, there's no, you know, there's a whole bunch of holes where they've just got nowhere else to go if they want to challenge the player off the tee with driver. I guess that's that's the problem with a course that was built in whatever year it was built in, isn't it? Like, (laughs) Right, right. And and I guess the the question is, is when does that evolution reach its point where we take a look at it? It was bombed during the war where I... No, no, I understand, I understand. The beautiful architect has disappeared, like, what? Yeah, I know, I know. So, John, John talked about, uh, I think he called it the integrity of the course and we're losing the integrity of the course. I'm not even sure what that means. Um, Since 2019, almost a quarter of the rounds played on the PGA Tour are played at under 7,000 yards as as the playing distance. And um, so if the old course needs to play at 7,500 yards, 7,400 yards to maintain its challenge, I don't know, maybe it's not designed all that well. Maybe it's lacking integrity in design. Who knows? I'm not, I don't know enough about architecture to speak about that. I want to go back to 48 inch drivers quickly. 
Earlier this year, Mike Wan did an interview, and I'll read the quote here. He says, I don't think we want to take athleticism and strength and figuring out a way to swing the club harder. If you can do it and keep it in the fairway, out of the game. So Mike does not want to take athleticism and skill out of the game, which I agree with him. I don't either. If you can hit the ball far and keep it in play, he wants that to be part of the game. Yet we removed 48-inch drivers. The longer the club, the more athleticism and skill it takes to keep it in play, yet we removed 48-inch drivers. Why take away that athleticism from the player? It, the reason that we took it away is because that two inches gives you four to five yards. It requires more skill to get the, deliver the club head to the ball squarely, but it requires less skill to get velocity, and that's why it was taken away. So the velocity just from the extra two inches, the velocity of the club head increases. Yeah, but you you need skill to keep it in play. Like that's a two two parts of that equation. Yes, you can swing it faster, that's but you right. have and, to and, you have to keep it in play. And and there's a number of players on tour that tried that and don't have the skill to keep it in play. Yeah, and and that's fine. It, what we decided to do was it it we felt it was too long. It is a skill. You are correct that it is a skill, but we felt that the advantage of, of Extra velocity on the club head speed that you got just from adding that two inches was coming from equipment rather than the mostly from equipment rather than the skill. And we decided while there were so few players that were actually using clubs in excess of 46 inches that we would give tournament organizers and committees the option of putting this rule in place to limit that. And that's what the PGA Tour has chosen to do. What's in, can I just quickly ask with that? What's interesting with that, John? Um, do, are the studies published showing how much skill and how much distance? Like, is is there a place that the listener can go and look at the study and see, make their own conclusions from like your independent study, which is kind of, you're going to run a study on, you know, skill relationship to distance, and you're going to put a balance in it, and you're going to present that data, I presume, to a committee. You then make a decision on the. Yeah, course. we haven't. We don't have. Uh, we've done a lot of stuff on the distance mm -hmm. game from from extra two inches of driver. We don't have any published studies at looking at players that have used them for a long time because very few players do use them to to do that measurement or do that analysis. It's a really difficult player test to do because yeah. you can't just throw a guy on a range and say, here, here, hit 12 balls with a 48 and 12 with a 46 and tell us which one you do better on. Because as Lou said, it takes some time to develop that. Yeah. So what's interesting, though, is I think that so we talk about the integrity of 1754, which is when St. Andrews, I think, was was built or opened. But then we're changing the integrity of the skills that have gone by changing that club. That's again where I get a bit confused. If, but I always think if there was a study that I could go and look at, then I would be able to like make my own conclusion because in effect, we're relying on your conclusion. If okay. we're changing the integrity, we didn't have 125 players on the PGA Tour playing at 48 inches and then decide, hey, we're going to roll those guys all back to 46. This is something that we saw as a potential area yeah. of, of room where people could move there. You know, for, if you looked maybe 15, 20 years ago, everybody's playing a 43-inch driver, and you said, well, who would ever play a 46-inch driver? It takes so much skill to learn to keep that in play. But people like Greg 
and, and other PGA Tour pros are good and they learn how to do it. So what we've decided was, hey, this is a little bit of headroom. And for, for the rare times that we can be proactive as um, regulators of the game, we're going to take that headroom out of there and leave the game where it is right now before everybody moves. And that would not be fair if we took it back for everybody. Yeah. So, but what my point was there more that in 2005, the integrity of the game was wherever it was. And I was allowed to use a 48 inch driver if I was on a tour where now yeah, that's still are. changed. I, I don't use Till Jan, are. till Jan next rule. year. It's a model local yeah, but, rule. You can still use it. No, if I played the PJ tour, the PGA tour have already announced that they're going to use that local rule. Well, and then, you know, that if you had made it, there's players that like Phil that are going to have to change. And, and that's just the nature of a game. And, and yeah, so it changes the integrity of the skill they've learned, I guess. It's there, there, there. It's tough luck for them, in, in effect. Yeah. And I, well, but you could argue the same thing on the other side. So you got a guy like Brian Gay. And when, when the game becomes bomb and gouge, haven't you kind of changed? Hasn't the game changed and made his job that much harder? What is bomb well, and gouge? Survival mean? of the fit. What yeah. does that mean? Can you, you define know what that? bomb and gouge? No. Means can you little... define it? What does it mean? Gouge means to hit the ball as far as you can and then gouge it out of the rough with a wedge. Now you just being silly there saying well, what does bombing get? Well, I I just it, it, I re- I just posted something from Golf Digest 1955, and they talked about tour players doing nothing but hitting driver as far as they can and hitting wedge. They called it slug and flip back then. Slug um, and flip. That's I like what that they mean. called it. What yeah. does that mean, Lou? What does slug and flip mean? It means distance is always been a part of the game. So this is nothing new. <laughs> it means bombing People you hitting the ball meant. far. You're just, trying, you're just trying to. People you hitting the exactly. ball far. It's Come always on, been man. part of the game. Come it's on, man. You know it's bombing gals. So man. let's go back to sustainability because we didn't we didn't spend enough time on that. So okay. report number 33 in the USGA Distance Insight okay. Library is how golf courses change. It says yep. there are many examples of courses that added significant amount of distance in this study. So just to be Correct. clear, there were 80 golf courses that were studied. They were selected randomly. Uh, but it, these courses experienced no significant increase in footprint. Courses that had the largest increase in footprint could often attribute a significant part of that increase to the creation or expansion of practice area. Our research suggests that adding distance to an existing facility does not necessarily lead to an expanded footprint or increased fairway area. If they remove the nine courses in the sample that increased footprint because of new practice facility, the rest had an average decrease in footprint of 1.2 acres. The other thing that I never hear on sustainability is we, we look at, and you talked about, you almost let off with it, that distance continues to increase every year and, and it, it's a concern and we need to do something about it. And you talk about sustainability, but in that study, you'll see that for the courses you picked and the sample's pretty good size, 80, fairway area reduced by nine acres over time, right? Maintaining yep. a fairway costs a lot of money, costs about $8,500 per year, again, directly from your study. Uh, T area is only increased by 0.09 acres, nothing, like no increase in T area. Greens got a little bit smaller, 109K square feet down to 102K square feet. So greens got smaller. So the cost to maintain a golf course has been significantly decreasing over time as that maintained area decreases. So we've already made huge strides in sustainability. I'm curious what you mean about sustainability when you say sustainability. What what does that mean? Geez, you don't. So you don't know what sustainability or what do you mean by it? Okay, well that's a good question. 
So what I mean is the pressure, again, to get to resources. Now, we, we the USGA, have done a wonderful job in helping to reduce the cost to maintain a golf course with low water uh, grasses, with uh, reduced use of pesticides and herbicides. And so there's still a tremendous amount of pressure, even if you reduce those areas, for water, the wastewater that used to be used in California, you could get it for free. Now you pay for wastewater. So all of those things add to the cost to maintain a course. And I don't think, or I hope you don't, wouldn't think, that it's cheaper to main a, maintain a golf course now than it was in 1980, because that's simply not true. And I think there's a tremendous amount of pressure on, on golf courses. And unfortunately, we're part of that issue for the one week we have our U.S. Open that everybody wants their course to look like it does for a PGA Tour event or the U.S. Open when they have to strain it to the max level to get it to look like that and then give it a break for about a month and a half to get it back to where it was. So if we can reduce the need and golf courses are closing because they can't get water or their uh, constraints on water that they can't get to because it's left for farms and whatnot, as it should be, we need to try to help those stay in business if they're successful so that we can minimize the amount of, of courses that are closed because of the, the pressures that they have on, on the environment, from the environment. But some of the, uh, you, you said the courses in the UK don't need to worry about water. So there's some areas. They don't need to worry about water as much. I think Mark told us that they do have water shortages often too. To be, to be fair, to be fair, Lou, like I think John John's point is that like, I feel like, John, you correct me if I'm wrong. You know, growing up playing in Australia, played in Europe a lot, played over there, played all around the world. America is one of the few places where they worry about water places, watering places and areas where you will never hit the ball, right? You, you're walking around. It looks beautiful. It's a waste of water, right? All these green areas that look lovely, but you just don't need to do it. In Australia, we would have lack of rough. You see that in the UK as well. They're just these wispy yeah. areas that are sandy and there's no, no one waters that area. If you hit it in there, bad luck. So that's more the, the conservatism kind of stuff that you're talking about, I'd imagine, when it comes to saving water and being more conscious of what's going into the golf course. Well, you said American courses are watering places where nobody's going to hit the ball. Well, we don't need to change distance to change that. Just stop watering those areas. We did a, a, a really big uh, study at what's it, Rancho Park or something in California, the most played golf course in the United States. And we looked and spent several days tracking shots of amateur golfers around the course. And we found a lot of areas where virtually no one hit it in. And we recommended shut down those uh, irrigation heads. You're going to save a lot of water by not doing that. You may not like the look of it, but you're going to save a lot of water. And since nobody goes in there, it's not going to affect their Thank you for the help there, Greg. No, you're fine. Just fall in love with brown as a color. That's all you got to do. That's, that's right. I mean, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's always it, what I think is quite interesting as well in the, because you mentioned it earlier, you mentioned St. Andrews, then you also mentioned, I think you mentioned Augusta National, you know, when again, you were talking about the integrity and stuff. You also mentioned it with the US Open. Is it, is it slightly irresponsible of courses like Augusta? And obviously you can't speak for them because it's their own tournament, but, and the US Open to push the course to such limits, which by your remittance, you just said affects other courses to look the way that these courses look. That is it not irresponsible to do that? So as in, 
if I make uh, I make video content for golfers, if I make video golf, uh, go, uh, content for golfers, telling them all to do something that was really irresponsible, then that that's something I I would look at maybe improving. Is is it not slightly irresponsible for those places to stage those tournaments in that effect? If it has the effect that you said it has earlier, of, of course, you're trying to mimic that. It would be irresponsible for me to comment on that, given that I'm an equipment guy, not a course guy. I don't get involved in the course setup. I don't get involved in the rationale behind all of that. So you'd have to take that to John Bodenhammer or Mike Wong yeah. or someone else. That does it's an interesting stuff. question. Would, would you, have you got an unprof- off the record unprofessional opinion? I do your not. opinion as a golfer? I do, I do not. So one of the, no, I wanna, uh, one okay. of the things on, on, on maintenance and costs and sustainability Earlier this year, Thomas Pagel, um, who is Senior Managing Director of Governance. Do I have that right? I think that's what his title is. So he says the cost of water, the cost of labor, the cost of nutrients, they're all outpacing inflation, which means it's becoming more and more expensive to maintain golf courses. And yet when you look in Report 17, which is golf course maintenance, past, present, and future, it says the median operating budget of U.S. courses between 2010 and 2017 increased by 6.7%. And yet when adjusted for inflation, it becomes apparent that many operating budgets remained flat and many other golf courses experienced significant budget reductions. I, I can't speak to where, what Thomas Pagel said. I didn't hear it and I don't know where he was citing that data. Uh, I don't know either. It, it, apparently, it wasn't from his own report. Thomas Pagel wasn't directly involved in the Distance Insight project. No, he was as on, and uh, he was it. on a podcast. He was in. It, it was his oversight, as to my understanding. Yeah, it fell under the under the governance umbrella, but he was not in, involved in the day to day operations of it. So uh, around um, there's a couple of things. So I want to start off with this. Um, and you may not know this is the equipment gentleman, but uh, have there been efforts to get all of the stakeholders in the same room at the same time to share thoughts, views and expectations of the future? And just to clarify, I guess by stakeholders, I mean, uh, governing bodies, manufacturers, um, PGA of America, the, the tour, I guess, multiple tours. The golf course owners and uh, operators, uh, retailers, um, basically uh, representatives from all the major stakeholders that are directly affected by whatever decisions are made. So has that group been brought together in one room for an in-depth discussion? No. And uh, the reason is, one of the reasons is that's a very difficult task to do a very large group. We have reached out, as you know, Luke, as a Obviously, you've read the, the Distance Insight report very carefully that we reached out to them on, on multiple bases at separate times to do that. And as I said, we basically consult with all of the tours, our RNA uh, cohorts across the pond uh, on regular basis, and they consult with the European tour, but we have not gotten everybody um, in a single room. Uh, there's there's pluses and minuses of that. Uh, oftentimes when you have a thousand people in a room, there's three or four voices that may dictate the entire thing. And we certainly want to hear everybody's input. Okay. Um, a cup. I have so many things I could literally keep you here for weeks to talk about this. <laughs> so you talked about distance and distance. Lucky getting, you, John. Getting longer. <laughs> exactly. Lucky you. So, you know, I hear Mike Wan did an interview earlier this year and he talked about 8,600 yard golf courses 
And, and I hear that, and I'm not sure exactly what he's talking about or where he's getting that from and, and why those alarm bells are being sounded. Distance on the PGA Tour playing length has been pretty flat for 15 years. Um, and 8,600 yards is not even remotely close to anything they've ever played. Since 2019, only 5% of the rounds are above 7,600, with none being above 7,700 for playing length. So for him, and I know you probably didn't hear it or don't know which one I'm talking about. I believe this was a no laying up interview. Um, he's talking about 8,600-yard golf courses. We've, we're not even anywhere remotely close to that. Distance is flatlined. Playing lengths are flatlined. So I'm not sure why that drum continues to be pounded. Well, I don't think distance is flatlined. And, and I, it's flatlined for the average golfer. From your standpoint, there is still a slight trend upwards, and it's certainly not flatlined for the PGA Tour or any of the major tours. Uh, there are courses, I, I can't speak for Mike Juan and what he was citing, there are courses around the world that uh, have distances, some in China that are uh, very long, but I think that's mainly a selling point, so... Uh, it still is the point where, as Greg had said, and, and, and when we look at places like Pebble Beach and we look at Augusta, that some of the classic venues that we, we as spectators like to see uh, the elite players play on uh, and compete on uh, are running out of space to conduct a, the tournament that they feel the, the way they should or the way the course was meant to be. But that's just an opinion. That there's no, yeah, that's subjective. Mostly, a lot of what we're talking about here is right. It just, it, Lou, to me, a lot of this just depends on what you like seeing and watching too. Like the trend is no doubt moving towards, like I train at a place where there's kids 16 generating 125, 130 mile an hour club at speed. They are the future, right? They do it. They're fantastic athletes. And that is, when you have a bucket load of people on the PGO Tour who are going to stand on the 13th at Augusta and bomb it over the trees, if you like seeing that, right now it's fun, but when there's 100 of them doing it, is that as sexy? But I, can, I can go back and show you, you know, they have, they don't, you don't have many shots because you didn't, you didn't get to see many shots. TV coverage was, of golf was nothing like it is today, and you still don't get to see all the shots today. But back in Augusta, you can go and find that every final round is on there. And you can go back and look at the 80s, and you can see Greg Norman, you know, had 160 into 13 or 155. Right, you can right, see yep. so many players had less than 190 on, yep. on 13. Back in the day, I can I can go watch that and I can tell you what the numbers have been for the last three years. And it's about the same. And so I'm not exactly sure, you know, how so we I think, think that I think people what you're have missing though, is the trend, the though, Lou, We're not talking about two guys doing it. We're talking about potentially every guy doing it. That's, that's what I'm saying. Not, that's not even true. Now, if you're saying that's can, no, no, you no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm, I'm saying. Yeah, but that's Greg, the tr- Greg, if yeah. If you look at the PGA Tour through all history, there's always a spread of players. So there's always a lot. Not everyone is hitting it into one bucket of distance because there's always a spread of skills. As but that bucket's John moving was, up. So as John, as, it is moving up, but there's still going to be a spread. So you're still going to see from 290 to Where's your data on that? Where did you get data from Augusta, the approach shot distances on from 13 going all the way back? To right off their website. I went through and recorded everything off their website. They, they, they have, had everything they, they on their website. Post all their shot link. They post all. They yeah. post all the yeah. data on there. You can go and, and you can look at all the every way, player. How far back did you say you got shot link? Three years. Like just three years. Three years. Yep. 
Yeah, well, that you said back in nineties and eighties there. Well, you can go on YouTube and watch final rounds. There's footage of there's footage of Greg Norman having one fifty-five in the water. I remember. Yeah. So there's there's plenty, but 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 I you know that as you said, television coverage. You you're asserting that the same number of players back then are hitting were hitting into the green as there are today, but you don't have data that shows you don't and you don't have data that shows that either. Yeah. What data do you have? I know, but then you're talking about opinion and fact. But you're saying it's different. You said it's different than it used to be. You're the one that said it's different. You don't have the data either. I'm not panicking about anything. You guys are just afraid that that you think distance is not a problem and you want to have a game that's not regulated. And that's fine. I don't, you know. No, no, I like regulation. No, no, I I don't put my word. I I, I like the job you do in lots of respects. I think you do lots of good. That's not true. The regulations that you have and what I see the RNA do, there's lots that make lots of sense. But there's some that seem to be coming down to opinion. And then I guess the question is, as an avid yeah. golfer in my life, I'm allowed to question who's got the opinion over, well, if Greg's going to relate it to what I watch or what I want to compete in or what my daughter ends up playing in or what my son might end up playing with. So if we're going to talk about opinions about Augusta, we're all talking about opinions of Augusta. That, that's fine. I agree. Ago. And that's why we reached sure. out to constituents on, on that and and to people that are stakeholders throughout the game. And, you know, I look at, at, at how we do different things, and I say, you know, like Lou's working with Arcos, and they claim they have 8 million uh, data points a year. They could do some great stuff on, yeah, absolutely. on telling golf courses where they need to maintain and where they don't, And but I don't see that happening either. We're trying to do the best we can on sustainability, and if your data set is as good and strong as a thing, I think that'd be a great thing for the game if Arcos stepped up and told everybody that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's something I'm sure that could be worked on in the future, Lou, is it not? Yeah, yeah. So it, it could be. And, and those conversations have already started to happen internally, and I've only been there two months. So I want to ask you this. So you talked about engaging people and having these conversations. And I do appreciate you being here and talking with us about this. I know we're on different sides of the fence, obviously, but I do appreciate you being here. But I want to talk about, uh, you know, I'm going to read a couple of quotes here uh, from Mike Wan. So for those who don't know, he's the you know, Lou, Before you read the quotes, I'm not going to comment on what other people said. If you have direct questions to ask me about the data or something, but I'm not going to. Do you think I'm really going to sit here and comment on the quotes of all the people that work with USGA when I wasn't there and, and doing it? Well, you were the one. I was pretty clear with my conversations trying to line up this podcast. Um, and uh, they knew that we wanted to talk about this. And, and I very clearly there was said, nothing in your, you could, there was nothing I very in the clearly said material. the individual Luke, that I worked with, I very clearly said, bring as many people as you like to talk about the distance insight report. Bring as many people as you need to bring to answer all of these questions. That's fine. That's fine, Lou. You sent a pre-read with a bunch of questions and none of them said, will, will he be able, you know, it has been, was going to be me for over a month. And you said, uh, here are the questions. None of them were. Comment on what Mike Wan said. Comment on what Thomas Pagel said. I am happy to engage in any kind of discussion you have relative to the distance insight reports and data, but I'm simply not going to comment on the quotes of other people that work at the USGA. I don't know what they said. I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know where they came up with what they said. I'm not. That's, not, that's fair. I'll, I'm still going to read them. 
That's okay. fair. You, you don't have, have to. You don't have to comment. So have in an that. interview earlier this year, Mike said uh, when he was asked how we're going to resolve the distance debate, he said one of the things I thought when I walked into the USJ is they already have the answer. They're just waiting through a process of feedback and going back and forth. That's not really true. This process of working with the industry is real. We're building this together with the RNA and the feedback of the industry. In another interview, Juan said, if we just turn the other cheek and say, nah, nothing is wrong with this game, the people who say that, to me, don't really care about golf 40 years from now. Earlier this year, an interview with recently departed USGA CEO Mike Davis, he said, we have a problem and we've got to solve for it. I would almost go so far as to say that for those who don't think we have a problem, I would either say they haven't read the data or they have some personal conflict of interest. So I'll recap. Juan says, if you don't agree with us, you don't really care about the future of golf. Davis says, if you don't agree with us, you're either ignorant or have a personal conflict of interest. Those comments are confusing. As Mike Juan said, the process of working with the industry is real and that we're building this together. But the stance from the last two CEOs at the USGA is if you don't agree with us, you either don't care about the future of golf, you, you, know, you really didn't look at anything, or you have a conflict of interest. And to me, my comment, and I'm not asking for your comment, those comments do not seem like they are in the spirit of working together and having a partnership to work through this. That's my comment. Okay. Uh, John, um, yes. when, you guys, when you guys decide to, to do something, whether it be the shafts or any, anything with you, when you like with the putters, you guys, this long putter down to no, uh, no anchoring, things like that. You do studies on like the impact for at the club level, like if anyone's going to stop playing, like how much effort do you guys put into that kind of stuff before you change? Because you've got some big stuff probably going on in your minds, I'd imagine, with what's going to happen in the future of the game. So how much love do you put into that? Yeah, we, we basically, you know, you did some of the stakeholder stuff earlier uh, on, as you saw in the Distance Insight reports. But when we look to go and make changes, we'll oftentimes run focus groups throughout the country uh, and, and ask what they think about certain things. Or that might be done through, um, through actual in-person things, getting in one room like Lou suggests, or uh, from from the recreational golf store, we might have an outside agency do that for us. So we do try to reach out as much as we can on that, for sure. Right, right. I actually have a question for Lou now that now that I think of it. So I guess my question is, if not, like it feels like the people who want the equipment to change and want it to be harder to hit and not go as far, um, those people. Uh, foresee the future is what they feel like. In 40 years' time, they think it's going to be bomb and gouge or whatever you like to call it. They, they, their version of the game isn't being presented, right? Is there a point, Lou, I, and, and Mark, you may be this, I don't know what you believe. Um, is there a point where you would go, okay, that's enough. That's enough. We've got to do something about the equipment. Or do you think we'll never get to that? Uh, we have that's restrictions in place currently, right? So no, we, yeah, no, we, we no, so we much do. flatlining. That's yeah, we, we have so restrictions in place and we've pretty so much So you're flatlined. basically what it is now, if if that's it, you're good. You don't I'm, want I'm good to see with, change in but go I'm on. good. I'm good with it is what it is right here. And I, oh, I think right. you'll continue and I think, to, to be honest with you. 
Yeah, sorry, Matt. I'm quite good with people like John and and Steve Otto having the regulations that they've got in place and constantly looking at them. As I think they, if you look at distance amateurs uh, and pros and you look at the studies, yes, there's a, you can argue that the PGA tour is trending possibly one way. And I would say it's going to go one way, but at no real massive speed. You could argue you, you, they're doing a good job. Like they, they've stopped it. Like it went crazy and they kind of, because obviously when the ball came out, it went, it shot up and they started to act and things came in. So they're, 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 they're doing a good job. My question, which I get confused with again, is you talk about anchored putters and what have you. All I want to do when something is changing, as someone who works in the industry, I just want to see the study. Just show me the study so I can understand it more and form my opinion. I don't want to form my opinions on what John tells me. I want that to be part of my opinion. I want to listen to someone who's as educated as John and Steve Otto doing their job. And I want to learn and understand that side of the discussion, but I want to see how they got there. I, I just want it to be a little bit more transparent. I don't, is that fair, John? Is that, does that, does that make sense? Absolutely. That's completely fair. And, you know, as we go and make, if we make any further decisions going forward, we've had active discussions with Steve Otto just a, a week ago. Uh, about, you know, we have other reports that are background reports leading into the ones that are actually published on the website, uh, that we should publish those things and, and allow everyone to read them and comment them. I'm sure Lou has tons of spare time uh, with his new job that he can digest another 500 reports or something, but I was being <laughs> Lou loves the report. That's perfectly fair. And, and you know, the manufacturers really want and, and all stakeholders deserve that for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I've got a couple of questions to finish if you guys are out of questions. Lou, have you finished uh, with your quotes? No, no, I, <laughs> I have a, I have a couple more. So pace Go of play. Quote so or question? Just a question. John, you brought up yes. pace of play. And I'm not sure how pace of play is impacted by distance. Can, can, you, can you fill us in on that? Yeah, the, the, the studies when we did them, and they're hard to do, didn't show a, a tremendous effect on that because of, of how they how you set it up and and which group you're studying in an actual course. But there's belief and anecdotal data that says, you know, players that the 16 handicappers that are still hitting the ball 300 yards or waiting for the green to clear or the group in front of them to clear before they tee off and then you get a back load of, of all the time at play. Uh, so there, there can be minor changes to the to the pace of play by walking a longer distance, playing a longer course, and and we think that that could be exacerbated as they go further. Yeah, the the report thirty four it talks about the effects of distance on pace of play, and just based on your studies, um, for every five hundred yards you reduce course length, round time will decrease an average of six and a half minutes. Is is what it is. Um, and if you decrease playing length, so you make equipment shorter uh, by 15 yards, that will increase round length and average about one minute. Um, and I'm sure you know Bill Yates, uh, the, the late Bill Yates. He wrote Out of Time. He's considered the expert on pace of play. He consulted for the USGA in many studies and in many capacities. Uh, and Dr. Riccio as well wrote a book on pace of play and, and Riccio, both of, Rick, sorry, Riccio, both of them will say, you know, distance has no real impact. The, the length of the course has minimal impact 
on pace of play. Yet I, I, I hear I hear you know folks from the USGA out there talking about pace of play being a benefit of making things shorter again, which it really it isn't. If we really want to impact pace of play, we'll look at tee time interval. We'll look at the flow of the golf course, height of rough, things like that. And the length that we play a golf course has almost nothing to do with it. So. And, and if you were to look at, read some of other, our other work, we were the ones that were instrumental in changing the tee time interval. You actually, uh, there's a, a, a good sweet spot of that at, at, at around 10 minutes or so. And so if you make them too tight, then the whole course backs up. If you make them too long, then it has the reverse effect and doesn't work out as it should. So we instrumented uh, and did were instrumental and we did a lot of work on that. And that's stuff that's, that's actually gone into the PGA tour and certainly while the way that we play our championships. So we're, we're involved in a lot of different areas. They didn't necessarily come out just from distance in tight, but thank you for that. Pace of play is an interesting one, though, isn't it? Because it's not actually pace of play, is it? Or is it? It's more people don't want to be held up. It's not. You're right. There's no one on the course and it takes you five hours or there's no one on the course. It takes you three hours. It's more you play a course that takes three hours and it takes you three hours, 40 minutes because it's backing up. Again, it's not related really to the distance, is it? It's related to more how that course is managed, possibly. There's a lot of factors. There's very few things in in golf that aren't confounded by some other thing so it's yeah you know that it's not just the equipment that leads to distance as we said earlier the player is the main source of of distance and when greg asked lou about you know is there any point when you would be upset about it you know we know from all sports endeavors that that the human being is constantly getting better at everything the, the mile gets quicker the hundred yard a uh, hundred meter run gets quicker. The, the rep, uh, swimming races get quicker. So there's at some point, I think everybody, maybe not in our lifetimes, but we'll have a tip. Yeah. So, just quickly, sorry, on that point, Lou, I will bring you back. Sorry, but just yeah. quickly on that point, don't you think the Olympics would be boring if the hundred meter world record never gets beaten ever again? What do you reckon? Greg? Uh, Did you watch the hundred meter sprint, Greg? Just yeah, but, sorry, John, yeah, I will ask a, you to. Yeah, if it yeah, 100 meters, let's just agree now that 100 meters can't get ever quicker anymore because I put right, restrictions right. in. Are you watching that ever again? Mm, yeah, I'll turn it on. It's only on once so every So basically you've four, you now got four people who run at exactly the same speed every Yeah, and every they're kind of maxed years. out on that too anyway. I guess, I guess... They're not. I mean, that will keep developing, won't it? I mean, it, well, it's it, humans it's, are moving. Let's uh, talk about a different Olympic sport. Let's talk about javelin. Do you know what javelin yeah. did? Yeah, yeah, javelin. I'm javelin it. Yeah, so what Javelin did was they were throwing the, the Javelin so far that it became a, a danger. And so what the the sport governing body did was roll back the Javelin and change the aerodynamic yeah. wobble of the Javelin so it could stay within the venue that it was contested on. And yeah. now it's starting to go back again. So what they've done is just made an adjustment to make the sport as relevant as it has been through the past. Is that wrong to do that? Are you saying golf isn't relevant? Purpose? Are you saying golf isn't relevant? Is that is no, that you're? I, I I no, he's saying that just the equipment. I said, "Geez, Lou, you really are combative, aren't you?" <laughs> um, uh, I said they wanted to make javelin as relevant as it was. Swimming did the same with the swimsuits and cycling did the same when they wanted to see who could ride the That's furthest right. in an hour. There's plenty of TED Talks on it where sports have adjusted based on 
um, the equipment went further than they thought they wanted to, and golfers now looking at it. It's simple as that. And and I, I know Lou doesn't like that. Um, yeah. I was Javelin's vo- interesting, isn't it? Javelin's only doing that because it doesn't want to hit the spectator at the other end, as in because it wants to be in the arena. Because if you go and put right. Javelin in its yeah. own site, no one's ever going to go to the Javelin. The Javelin I- needs an audience in the Olympics. So they put it in the main arena. BMXing goes in the main arena. Less people watch it. If they put it in the main arena, more people would watch it. I mean, it's an interesting um, comparison. I get what you're saying. And I agree to some parts, but it's also not relevant. I mean, they're doing it purely to make sure people watch javelin otherwise no one would watch the javelin it would just in its ratings well, it would go down I if it was so, on a tuesday so, not on the track and field day Mark, golf golf, golf also pays the price it, because it has an expandable venue if we yeah, but played golf on a, struggling to get spectators greg no 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 not at all but what i'm saying is if, if you if we were playing on the same venues from 100 years ago they've all grown then this discussion would be really easy God, they're killing these golf courses, right? So that's that's why we have this expansion that at some point people want to talk about, and here we are, right? So that's my that's the take on why the javelin was a, it's a closed field. So they said we're going to do something. We can expand our venues, and at what point do we say I'm done doing that? And then the other thing as well, John mentioned Brian Gay earlier. If we go and limit that hundred meter sprinter, Brian Gay doesn't play anymore, does he? Brian Gay's off the tour. If we limit that hundred, Brian's actually. Sprinter, I, I, I spoke to Brian not too long ago. He's actually. He's got longer, isn't he? Yes, he has I know. I know. Yeah. He's working with Joe Mayer. You see, I yes. know. He's got 170 mile an hour. He's getting ball speed. Yeah, wow. little fella. Yeah, that's, that's that's pretty good. So, John, golf has seen this huge increase in popularity, and um, do you think it's wise for the governing bodies to look at making changes, given? the popularity of golf, both at the amateur and the professional level? I think that it's it's our responsibility to look at golf and whether or not there is anything that poses a threat to the game uh, in the future, whether that future be near or far. Uh, that's our role as governing bodies to, to protect the game. And so I think we have to look at it regardless of the health of the game, whether we act is another whole story, but it w- we would be absolutely derelict in our duties if we weren't constantly monitoring what's going on in the game. What, and what do you mean by a threat to the game? What does that mean? Well, well I don't know. I don't know what a threat to the game. Some people think that that the way people are playing, I know you don't know what bomb and gouge means when they hit the ball a long way and then chip it out of the out of the rough. But I think some people think that's a threat to the game, that that the game has become a long drive and then a, a chipping or pitching game. I think some people think that is a threat. Some people think it's a threat to the game when uh, there are very few players are, are hitting, you know, three woods into a par five anymore. Most par fives or a, a large number of par fives are playing like a long par four. Some people think that's a threat to the game. There's a lot of different opinions of whether the game is being played in the way that the original founders and designers of golf courses that had intended that. That doesn't mean that that's the right thing either, but but I think there's a lot of different views, a lot of passionate views, and we can, I certainly appreciate your passion, Lou, but I think it's important to have these kind of discussions, and we need somebody, and USGA has taken on that role to, to look forward and make sure that they believe that your grandkids and your great-grandkids are going to enjoy the game and be as passionate about it as you are today. 
But if, if we're talking about, you know, what they originally intended, many of these co- golf courses that I hear folks bring up, and I'm not going to put any of those golf courses in your mouth, but you mentioned courses from 100 plus years ago. They were, you know, they were designed in a time of hickory shafts. Um, are we going to, uh, you know, right. the architect intended them to be played with hickory shafts and on greens that stimp at five. Um, are we are we advocating to go back to hickory shafts? No, no, valid, very, very valid point. But I, I believe, you know, I said everybody has different things about what they would like to see. Personally, I think the old course at St. Andrews, I think Augusta are venues that I just, am in love with not playing because I've never played Augusta. I've played the old course, but watching the best players compete on those venues, I think it's magical. And I think it would be a very, very, or will be it, whatever, if a sad day when we are no longer to, uh, able to take the most, the best players in the game and have them compete on those but things. I posted this a while ago. I don't have it in front of me and I'm not going to, I'm not going to um, make you painfully wait while I find it. But you go back and look at the scorecard from Augusta from the mid eighties. And we know how far players drove it back then because we have the data. Um, and you look at what the average drive was in those days and you take and put the average drive on every hole at Augusta and you look at the yardage that they would have left. And it wasn't like they had nothing but four irons. They had nothing but short irons back then. So I'm not exactly sure when someone says we want Augusta to play like it used to play. um, They hit nothing but short irons in there when you look at what the numbers are like. So that that always confuses me. Been a lot of changes since the eighties though, Lou. Like I played there, I played there in 2000 to Augusta. I played there in 2000. I hit wedge into the first. I ain't pulling out wedge if I get to go back again. I guarantee it. You know what I mean? There's been a lot of change that I hit eight iron into 18, and that tee's gone back what 50. So there's been a lot of changes to that golf course to get those to get those clubs and numbers you're talking about, right? But so that's okay, right? Why? why and there's well, that's, well, that's okay. the point though. At, at some point, don't we have to say it's not okay? Yeah, but but distance is pretty much flatlined, right? The only thing yeah, you're going to see now is John's doing his job well. Here's what's going to happen: player, play. There's going to be players are not really getting longer. There's going to be more longer players, right? So some players yeah. like Bryson, you can oh. use Bryson as the example. Players are simply going to get longer. We're going to see more players, but we're not going to see guys that are carrying. You know, the average drive on tour is not going to be three ninety. In ten years, it just won't no, no, be. No, They've hit. Bryson's kind of hit the. He that's it. Like that's right. kind of the ceiling. We won't right. see much longer than that. Right, right. But historically, the longest player right now, let's say it's Bryson. Historically, on the PGA Tour, whoever is the longest within about fifteen to twenty years, that is pretty much average. Right. Tiger Woods in ninety nine or two thousand was second behind John Daly at two hundred ninety seven yards. That would have finished like ninety third last year or eighty ninth or something stupid. Right. In average, so. There you take a phenomenal athlete. 20 years later, he's average, right? That's what John's talking about, keeping an eye on. So you kind of got to let him do his job. You're not going to like it. I love it, right? So, I think, I think the biggest part of this, though, Greg, is that we understand more than we ever have the importance of distance. And players are now have adjusted to that. And they're speed training. They are hitting the ball longer. Take look at 10 at Riviera. Like I can go back. We actually have data back to 2004 on that, on what players did. And you can see this inflection of players starting to go for 10 at Riviera because 
with the advent of strokes gain from Brody and then understanding how to apply that and how to pick optimal targets, we know that going for it is optimal in that situation. So players are not necessarily hitting the ball longer. They're just hitting the ball longer more often because they know that that's important. And they know that distance is important more than we ever knew. It's like any other sport. And I'm not a huge uh, you know, football person, but football analytics, American football analytics, they've learned a lot about how you should play the game. And the game has adjusted because of what they've learned. And players have adjusted because of what they've learned. But we have regulations in place right now that John is ultimately responsible for, and those are in place. And we're not going to see people exceed those from an equipment perspective because they can't. So the ceiling that we have right now is kind of what we have. Will players get longer? Yes. That's only because they know it's important, but we're not going to see players get much past what Bryson is right now. It just, it will not happen. Okay. If it does, it's because John hasn't done his job, but I believe John is doing his job. You can't, you can't, they're controlling everything, Greg. Um, Just a quick question for John, um, because this one I always find quite interesting. I'd be interested in your opinion on this, because I don't know if you have data on it or not. Um, So you mentioned the word threat, threats of the game, which is your job. You know, you're looking out for threats of the game. But then what happened is, and this is a common trend, um, and maybe it's just because the way this conversation is going, but I see it in other conversations as well. You, you used a lot of, so you used the word threat, which I would say is like a negative word because, you know, it's a danger, isn't it? We don't want a threat to happen. Yep. And then you use the word distance and then you use the word Augusta and St. Andrews in relationship to threats because we don't want to see those courses going. Um, is there not a bigger threat down at the bottom end than there is at the top end? Why are we always so focused on this top end? As I, I'm a golf coach and I've taught for over 20 years and yep. I see plenty of people falling out the other end. I would argue more people fall out the other end. I, I could bring on my audience now on social media and where lots of them, what's St. Andrews and Augusta, they're going to be more concerned. Well, my, my bigger concern is my daughter who tried to play golf. There were no appropriate tees for her, really. She had a mixture of the white and the reds and the yellows, which is in the England, in, in the UK is like women's, men's and then competition to make it functional. My dad, he had tees. My mum, who was happy playing off the reds, the women's designated tees, and I hate that term. She, but my daughter, who hit the ball 200 yards through the air, she had no course. And I could have taken to nearly any course in the UK, no course. Yet we use the word threat, and then we constantly talk about distance, which yeah, has connotations. And, and I'm not sorry, and I'm not saying you said this, but connotations then goes towards the word Bryson's then mentioned, which I think Greg mentioned, and then St Andrews is always mentioned, and and then Augusta's always mentioned. Let's just put it out there, and I know you don't want to comment on this. Augusta is not exactly the most welcoming golf club in the world, is it? They I oversee agree. their course. It's very. You could argue as a sustainability idea, Augusta's probably a little unsustainable in the fact of, you know, it's a locked private, very private club that oversees to make it look the way it does the year it does. As I understand it, they even import pine cones. I mean, that's not sustainable for the trees that I've walked at Augusta underneath. They're not the pine cones of the pine or the needles that come off the tree I'm looking at. Yet we've not really talked about the fact that my daughter doesn't have teas much or that my son's got no interest in taking up golf because it's full of old men with silly ideas um, to want of a better term. And I know that's a gross generalization that that worries me more than anything else. Personally, what's your opinion? That's a great that's a great point, Mark. And 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 you're right. And it's a great full circle for 440 in the afternoon here is that we started off by saying is. Lou asks, is distance a problem for, and I 
said at the time, it's a problem on both ends. It's two ends. And the end you're talking about is there aren't enough short tees. They, you throw a marker at the end of a fairway or you have a forced carry of 120 yards for, for someone who averages 90 yards off the tee. Now, in the Distance Insight Project, we looked at both of those things. And then once we've considered and finished the, the actual research that we did there, we separated it into two different we call them work streams. One is looking at the equipment side of things and how might you address the longer end of distance if indeed you believe there's a problem there. But the other one is, is called golf course, golf experience, golfer experience, golf course, GCGX. And what we've done there is they've had a lot of meetings where they've gotten the, the place, the stakeholders into one room with the architects, with the, um, superintendents and, and other constituents to say, how can we somehow help your daughter, help others that are in the same uh, situation, enjoy the game on the shorter side? Aside from moving up, you know, say, tee it forward, there's not always a place to go forward. So we yeah. need to somehow encourage and empower these people to do that. And as, as Lou said, that costs money too. And so the, the USGA is, is actively looking at that and I think you'll see stuff on that side, which I agree with you is a very important thing for the long-term sustainability of the game via participation. You'll see some stuff coming from us in the near future about well, that's exciting. might help address that. Yeah, because we definitely get stuck at the top end in this discussion. It often gets stuck at the top end because it's more of a Hollywood discussion. That's where right. as a so someone teaching sure. normal golfers for years, I see so many of the bottom end fall out because they just yeah. can't do it. That, that, um, that's right. it it's that's much right. more Hollywood to talk about Bryson and Augusta and St. Andrews and both of I those agree. courses. Well, certainly Augusta has some serious moral issues in itself without going down any wormholes. Uh, and it always gets me a little frustrated that we focus maybe around courses that, you know, yes, you want to see people play there, but there's bigger discussions that if they should ever be playing there, to be fair. But that's a different argument. Sorry, Lou, go on. So, John, last question for me um, is, in your opinion, as the person who's in charge of equipment, um, should there be equipment changes for amateurs? Should we roll back equipment for amateurs? I think if, if there, I don't think it should be ruled out. I think if there are decisions that are made to, to affect the amateur, I think there, we've, we've had lots of issues or instances where we've done those things. It has to be carefully considered and it has to be done in a way that minimizes that impact or the, the, any kind of deleterious impact to the game and the people who play it. It's interesting that I, you would say it shouldn't think, be ruled out. That, that's interesting. I don't, I don't think that, that something that occurs across the board should be ruled out. We said that we were committed in the distance insight conclusion report to not doing anything substantial across the game. But and we I, can I, show across many data sets that amateur golfers just are not hitting the ball far and not even remotely close. Um, and, and so it's interesting to hear you say that rolling it back for amateurs shouldn't be ruled out like that to me that I don't understand. I didn't say rollback. You used rollback. What's uh, rollback? Change equipment. Sorry. Changing equipment. Should, should, should distance be reduced for amateurs with should well, equipment you changes? Three, you, you talk roll, you said changing equipment. And I said, yeah. it should not be ruled out changing equipment with, for any amateurs. I didn't say anything about rolling back a ball or anything else, but I think we should not take anything off the table if we're going to be comprehensive, we have to look at solutions that 
that might occur throughout the game, might occur locally as a model local rule for others. I don't think when we're still in our deliberation stage that we should rule anything out. And that includes, Lou, looking at things that might make the game easier for, for yeah. Yeah. amateur golfers. So Yeah, so I, do, I could have, I could have asked a better on. question there. My, my question was more along the lines of should – distance be taken away from amateurs so should equipment be changed to roll back distance so amateurs don't hit the ball as far that that's really what i meant by the question i, I didn't i could have asked it better so that's, that's the question that's fine. I, i've spent the last hour saying things that i could have said better so that works yeah. out fine <laughs> me as well me as well uh, and, and and so i that's wild that you would say that because the game is just so hard and most people are just not good at it and most people do not hit the ball far at all um and to to kind of make that change across amateurs is it's a it's hard enough game and, and to make that change doesn't make any sense to me um so you're i think you're Maybe your predecessor, and I might get the name wrong, um, Dick Ruggie, is that how you pronounce it? That's his name, yep. Yeah. So he did a, He did an, uh, an interview, and it was in Golf Digest a couple of years ago, and he talked about the improvement in handicap for uh, male and female players. And he said, it, you know, the 12% improvement in golf is the equivalent of the average 100-meter dash time for high school and college runners dropping a full second. Um, he said it's just a massive improvement, and he said it's all because of equipment. But at the end of the day, amateurs like me, we still stink, and we still don't hit the ball far. Um, and to even consider changing that for people when the game is already hard enough um, is seems just uh, that makes no sense to me. Zero. I thought it, I thought he I thought John just said he wasn't taking it off yeah. the table. Yeah, he did. I, I yeah. think you're not quite listening to John there, Lou. John has basically said, which everyone would say, I think, is that they've got to look at everything so nothing comes off the table. So right. they're not going to look at making things short or longer for Sammy, the cat who takes up golf, for Jim, for John, for Jenny, for anyone. They're, they're looking. He's, he's, not say, he's not said, as I am, John, I don't want to speak for you, but you've no, not said right. that That's let's, let's roll back at all. He, he's not said that at all. We, we, have, we have. I just said he. he he said nothing's off the table. The same way as if you if you ask me a question, I'll put it on the table and I'll decide if it's off or not once I've made my decisions through some research, which is kind of what I heard John say, personally. Just my last question, Mark. Uh, John, are you going Go back to nuclear physics and fusion reactors after this discussion? <laughs> You're good? You're sticking around? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a it's lot It's got to be easier than this, mate. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, I admire Lou's passion. I mean, he's a guy who really... Loves it. I, I I wish he was happier, a happier person. But uh, other no, that's that, not look, that's not a fair comment. I'm a very happy he's person. Happy. So yeah, that, that's not a, that's, that's hour anyway. John, that's I can tell you, I've, comment, I've, gone, I've gone back and forth with some of these issues. I had to give up with Lou in private messages. He types too fast, and <laughs> and I can't compete. And so I, I it's just, Twitter is a terrible forum for these kind of debates. John, um, I'll tell you what. <laughs> we live close to each other, and the place that I play at is minutes from your house. I would love to have you out there next spring. I think our season's pretty much done now. I'd love to have you out there next spring. We'll go. We'll play. We'll talk about this. We'll play some golf. We'll have a drink. We'll have some lunch afterwards. I'd love to host you for that. I think that's a wonderful invitation, Lou. I appreciate that. You know what I'd love since you live close to where I live? Why don't you come up here, too, and visit the test center See how we do. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I, like I, I'm, I'm in for that. 100%. You're welcome yeah. anytime. You name the time. 
Let me show you how we do all this stuff, show you what's involved, and, and you can do a podcast right from here if you want. That Put would be in, amazing. Lou. I want to go to yeah. that. I've tried to get to the RA cool. when I've never yeah. got around it. Brilliant. Thanks for your time, John. I've got one quick question, just really quickly, because I know you're, you've been doing okay. some of your time. Um, what have we got to look forward to and look forward to maybe the wrong idea? But I think there are, you don't need to go into specifics, but when there was press around maybe reducing the length of the driver, there was talk about regulations on golf balls getting tighter and a few other things. Just, just I, I know it was a public statement I haven't got in front of me. There are a few studies developments coming out am i right in thinking that yeah we're we, you know the the when we had the area of interest notice that came out in uh february the comments from the constituents and the place uh, stakeholders was were due by august 2nd we've gotten those we're going through them right now um yeah. we've had meetings with the rna and whatnot and we're still studying those and things that we might or might not want to do and i would expect sometime uh, in the first second quarter of the year that we'll have an announcement of, of where we might be headed. I don't think uh, it's going to be earth shattering as far as saying, you know, as of X date, we're doing this. It's more of, yeah. You know, yeah. So. Fantastic. Cool. Well, brilliant. But, thanks for your time, John. You've been a great sport and thanks for asking our questions and sorry about losing. You guys, it's been great. <laughs> and I hope to see you at the test center soon. John, I'd love to. That. Yeah, stay on for a Absolutely. second after we stop recording here so I can uh, make sure I have all your info. There okay. we go. That was thank John, John Spitzer. Thank you, thank John. You Thanks for everybody listening. Um, leave comments down below. Let us know your thoughts. And as always, uh, hit those stars um, and let us know how we're doing. Thanks for listening. Catch you in the next podcast. <laughs>